Welcome to Counterpoint, the Counter Narrative Project podcast. This is the show that amplifies the voices of Black gay men through conversations with thought leaders, creatives, and activists. You can follow us on Twitter at Building Desire and like us on Facebook at The Counter Narrative. I am your host, Johnny Cornegay, and I have with me the founder of The Counter Narrative Project, Charles Stevens. Hello, everyone. Hey, Charles. Um, so we got a lot to cover today. We're going to talk um, a bit about our uh, February topic, which is mobilizing black gay men in the South. But there's been a lot of things that are just kind of going on in pop culture that we'll talk through um, today. And, and the first thing I wanted to bring up is uh, Morehouse College. Uh, so last week, uh, Morehouse College here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, hosted artist Shy Keith. Uh, who is the uh, creator of the film Black Men Dream. And um, amazing turnout. Um, They pretty much filled up the entire auditorium um, to uh, show this film. So just to give everybody who's listening kind of a overview of uh, the film, um, Shai Keith is an artist um, out of the Philadelphia area. I think he's based in Pittsburgh now. But... um, you know, from his experience, felt like he wanted to um, talk to other black men about their experiences. And what I think is really unique about the film is um, you never actually get to see the faces of the men who are speaking, which I think is great. And um, and he actually also gave the men the option of not wearing clothes or, um, you know, just kind of being clothed, but none of the, the individuals you could see. Um what was striking for me about the film was how universal a lot of our stories are. So to put that in context a bit, like I think the majority of the individuals that would be in the film, they're probably of a different generation. Like they're younger than me, much younger than me, but the stories that they were telling weren't different than things that I have experienced in my life. And um, it reminded me that, and I think I posted this on Twitter too, that black men, there's a lot of common narratives that we have um, growing up in America. And the film really did kind of highlight that again. And the importance of us talking more um, because, um, and we've talked about this a lot, Charles, but you know, we we're kind of taught not to talk. <laughs> we're taught to act. And, and typically that acting is either overt or overtly sexual or overtly violent, um, and not always talking through things, but, um, black men dream, um, by Shai Keith was an amazing experience. And so for everybody listening, please check it out. What does it mean for black men to dream? Whew, that is, for me, it's liberating, right? Um, for me, dreaming is freedom, right? So when you dream, you don't have, there are no rules when you dream. Um, you are free to go into that part of the mind where no one else can see and you can be whatever it is that you want to be. And um, the beauty of that is bringing those things that you dream about into kind of reality when you, when you're able to. And uh, I know that for me personally, that has been a quest, you know, continuing to um, allow myself to dream, 
now take those things that are dreams and bring them into reality. In the public health realm, we talk a lot about resilience and black gay men, especially with regard to HIV, especially. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that an important component to resilience, individual, personal resilience and collective resilience is dreaming. Mm-hmm. I also think about the amazing line from Joseph Beam's essay and in, in the life brother to brother works my heart where he says, I dare us to dream that we are worth wanting mm-hmm. each other. So I think that it's important that we continue to have conversations around dreaming mm-hmm. and why it's important to hold on to that. Cause so much of our power comes from our dreams. Yeah. But I think in, But I think so much of what we endure in this culture and what we go through in our daily lives, the forces that often structure our lived realities and our lived experiences try to rob us of our dreams. Mm -hmm. And it starts early on for us from the time, you know, we're little, little black boys. Mm -hmm. There are these forces that try to structure your dreams tell you you know limit who you can be and who you can imagine yourself as mm-hmm. i always say you know especially for like little black boys you know if you you know you, if you are eloquent i guess or if you right. uh, seem to have a command of language you should be a lawyer mm-hmm. or you know you should be an engineer you should be a doctor yeah. like these kinds of um paths that are mapped out for you how many of us are encouraged to be artists how many right. of us are encouraged to be dancers how many of us i mean people still do it they're certainly but I think that often our experience is really striving and when so many things tell you no to still be able to dream. Mm-hmm. I think that's a common narrative that many of us have. Yeah, and and it's something that you're absolutely right. All of the things uh, that you mentioned are absolutely correct. And I think as adults and mentors to younger people, I know that myself personally, I definitely strive to encourage brothers that I interact with to dream and that it's okay. I think that um, we make dreaming um, not uncomfortable, but we definitely make it um, like undesirable because people want, you want to be like, you have to be real and you have to be here. And you know, it's about what you, it's about the here and now. And as a black man, and even as a black gay man, you have to be serious. You have to be serious. You have to be pragmatic. You have to be rational. Mm-hmm. All these things take try to take our dreams away from us. Yep. Like how dare you be, you imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, for a lot of us, our imagination is our survival. Like right. we're able to endure black boyhood because of our imaginations. Mm-hmm. But there are these forces that try to take that away from us because it's our power. It's our yeah. magic and we have to stay connected to it. Mm-hmm. So kudos to the artists and just to that to that work i'm so thrilled by it existing in the world thank you johnny for sharing that no no problem at all um another interesting thing that is coming up uh valentine's day is on the way um we're recording this um right around our valentine's day valentine's day time you'll probably hear this right after and i don't know charles i i yeah i wrote this down I, i think it's an interesting topic because um uh Valentine's Day brings up a lot of anxiety for for people. So, okay, I'm going to be like really transparent on a uh, counterpoint for a moment. This year was the first Cut off his year, mic. <laughs> right. This was the first year that I felt a little like, "Oh, 
I wish I had a, a Valentine. And and to put that in context, people, is I'm not one of these, first of all, like Valentine's Day is just not something that like I, I go up for. Like it's not a thing. Um, I truly do believe that, you know, when you are uh, with someone and, and you love them every day. So Valentine's Day is just kind of another day. Um, you might go to Red Lobster that day. Uh Beyonce said You're that. just trying but, to work right. Beyonce. You're just her bitch. I had to get in Beyonce. Beyonce you know, I had to get it in. Um, but apparently, it's how you go to Red Lobster, right? According to <laughs> apparently, um, she'll take you to Red Lobster. She will. <laughs> um, but this was the first year that I kind of felt some anxiety around Valentine's Day, and um, Fonda Clayton, a good friend uh, of mine, actually did a video around Valentine's Day, and like, listen, folks. Um, and it kind of got me away from it, just reminding me that, okay, it's another day and we live, um, we live every day and we experience every day. And for those individuals, um, who, who may not be celebrating Valentine's day with an individual, we still have, um, community around us and people that support us. But I think the question I have and, and more the statement, cause we talk about this a lot within the counter narrative is the importance of community, um, uh, black gay men and community and, and having, um, people around us because they're actually this stuff like this time of year and holidays bring up a lot of anxiety for people. And it's incredibly important that we um, do have community. So I, I guess a question, Charles, what are your thoughts on community and building community and, and why it's important? I think about, I mean, so many things come up for me in this discussion. One is this conversation around loneliness mm -hmm. that, I think a lot of us have, but it's a struggle to have the conversation because of what I think people, what it suggests or what people might think it suggests to talk about loneliness. But a lot of us, you know, struggle with loneliness, a lot of black gay men, especially, you know, in the activist world. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there has been a number of forces that have weakened the kinds of institutions that support black gay men's community building. Yes. Coupled with the pervasiveness of social media where one feels both an intimacy with people they're connected to, but still a sort of intense isolation at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think there really is a number of forces that impact the ways that we are able to connect and the ways that we are able to relate and the ways that we're able to find each other. And this is of course outside of, you know, or beyond just a romantic sort of um, sense, but just in general, like mm -hmm. just the desire to connect to other human beings. Mm -hmm. I'm often disappointed and frustrated with messaging that focuses on black gaming. Cause I think a lot of it also is very individualistic or individualized. So it's like the single black gay man hmm. on the billboard, on the poster. Yeah. And I'm always like, what would it look like to create narratives and to create messaging that shows that there's a community standing behind us, yes. that we have a community behind us. And I think a lot of us need to, to know that and hear that and feel that. And I think that needs to be affirmed. Mm -hmm. 
because so many forces again tr- attempt to make us feel like isolated and mm-hmm. disconnected and that's very dangerous yeah right for a lot of us that's that mm-hmm. sense of disconnection it's very dangerous i think that there is a sense of wanting community there's a sense of wanting to to be a part and to be connected and we have to focus on that you know we talk i just not to make this all about resilience Mm -hmm. but again i think that's a part of resilience Mm -hmm. you know personal and collective resilience is feeling like you have a community behind you and i also think that for the forces that that challenge us or the forces that try to steal our dreams or steal our Mm -hmm. magic they need to know that there's a community standing behind us so that even attempts to um violate us or uh injure us like there's a community behind us so that it's not just some individual so i think that's just a really important message Mm -hmm. um and i also think about like i don't know i always think about black you know i always think about black men loving black men as revolutionary act like i grapple with that a lot like this meaning of love and what does it mean to love as a black gay man what Mm -hmm. does it mean to be vulnerable what does it mean to have intimacy what does it mean to um just be with each other and have pleasure and um, a sense of joy with each other. Like, what mm-hmm. does all that mean? And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that, I mean, certainly many critiques of Valentine's Day as being a capitalist invention mm-hmm. and all that, I think those are very valid critiques. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true, right? Mm-hmm. But I also, I also think that there is an opportunity to just reflect on what it means to be among each other and to love each other and to just be connected mm-hmm. yeah which is a great kind of um segue into chatting about marlon riggs so um uh, tongues untied uh obviously ends with um the joseph bean statement uh black men loving black men is the revolutionary act and last week we celebrated the birthday of marlon riggs yep we absolutely did (laughs) we did it we did it big at the counter narrative project um because we have an amazing community standing with us exactly (laughs) and that's exactly where that so it's all ties together and even thinking about mr riggs and his work um in order to create the films that he created when you look at um you know, the documentary, I Should Not Be Removed, and then you look at Black Is Black Ain't, like the incredible um, connection to people around to help do make these things, bring these things to life, you know? Um, even thinking of, you know, Tongues Untied, you know, many of the men um, that were part of it were part of a group that he was part of in San Francisco at the time. So there was a community of people. Um, so this idea of community kind of, helped to fuel so many of our, our our warriors that have given us so much um so much so much of a blueprint and so much beauty um uh so this is an important topic yeah and i'm definitely on a mission to create community around these works mm-hmm. many of us i think might have first experience tongues untied individually alone maybe but i think there's and there's a magic you know however you experience it because the film itself is amazing and brilliant Mm -hmm. but i think there's also this incredible power that happens when we're able to watch films like tongues untied as community yeah and discuss it and Mm -hmm. unpack it i was uh sharing with someone a few days ago about why it's important that 
community groups host screenings of Tongues and Tide and these kinds of films because, I mean, it's one thing to see it, and I think you certainly get the meaning and you're able to connect to it, but there's something about the experience of witnessing the film with others, and you're mm-hmm. all able to unpack it and bounce ideas off each other and ask questions and be ambivalent about certain parts. Like, there's a really important power to that. And so it's really, really important that there are community groups and screenings and just community around this because that's, I think that was also kind of the spirit of the film. Yeah. When you think about it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, how did you, um, what were some of the key takeaways that you had, Johnny, around the the Marlon Riggs Twitter chat that we hosted? Key takeaways. um, It was a reminder um, I think we know this, you know, if, if we have any interest in Marlon Riggs and we've done any research, we know um, how people regard him. And it's a very high regard because the work that he was creating um, really did talk about the black experience and the black gay experience in this very um, specific and intellectual way. But it was artistic. The Twitter chat and everything kind of around it reminded me that people love what the work that he he produced and and it reminded me how important um the work that he produced is and will always be I think to not just uh the black gay community but to the world um there was a lot of there were just a lot of people chiming in um, from different places um, uh, uh, around Mr. Riggs. And, and so you, so we have to do this work, right? We have to do this work and we have to be vigilant about getting it out and um, putting our whole soul in it. Um because that's what we, we leave this behind. You know, this is our legacy counterpoint, you know, is, is part of, is part of our legacy. And, um, we have to do this. We have to keep doing it and we have to encourage people to do it. And that is what I got last week is keep going, keep doing, keep producing, um, and put your, put your foot in it, you know, put both feet in it. And, uh, because it matters. What about for you? What does it kind of bring up for you? I just connected or reconnected to the love I have for what Marlon Riggs did, Mm -hmm. how much it was indispensable Mm -hmm. (laughs) to my own life and work. So reading the tweets and the the way the many ways people weighed in it inspired me Mm -hmm. and at the same time i'm just amazed at how important marlon riggs was to so many people so many different people yeah i'm so glad we have the opportunity to to host the, the twitter chat and have people have you know many of our stakeholders have a platform to share their experiences with marlon riggs and their insights i think mm-hmm. i Certainly learned a lot. I learned a lot every time yeah. we discuss rigs, but I'm just grateful. I have just tremendous gratitude for that experience. And, you know, uh, uh, there was before Tongues and Todd and it was after Tongues and Todd. Right. And the reason why I'm sitting here behind this mic with you 
<laughs> having this conversation is because, you know, Marlon Riggs had a huge part in that because he was able to take what I felt and what I feared and what I desired and what I dreamed and what I hoped for. He was able to take all that and put it up on the screen to narrative, to music, to movement, to these vignettes. Like he mm-hmm. was able to capture that. He was able to aestheticize my interior world in this way that no one else had before or since, quite frankly. Right. And I'm so utterly grateful. And, you know, and I feel a, a debt to that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I owe Marlon Riggs and the men of the in the life generation so much. We all do. Mm-hmm. We all do. And um, just again, just excited to have had the opportunity to, to be in community with folks to celebrate Marlon Riggs on his 59th birthday. Yes. Um, this month, uh, the Counter Narrative Project. Um, we're going to be talking about Black gaming in the South. So, um, my favorite topic. I know, right? <laughs> um, Marlon Riggs also being a Southerner. Being a Southerner, yeah, and we I'm are in the South uh, as well. Even though you know we um, impact so many different you know geographic areas around the country, but mm-hmm. um, we're physically right now in the in the South, and um, we're doing a couple of things. So uh, we'll have our um, Google Hangout, which is mobilizing uh, black gaming in the South. And we're actually um, uh, going to have a webinar about building resilience among black gaming in the South. Um, So we want to talk a little bit about um, history, you know, the history of activism um, of black gaming in the South. And I am going to put out a caveat to everyone who is listening. Um, I'm new to the South. I've been here about six years. And so I'm learning a lot of stuff. And in particular here in Atlanta. Um, So, Charles, um, talk to us a bit about, you know, black gay men and activism in the South from your vantage point. I want to talk very specifically about that. So I'm glad you raised that. But I want to begin by just talking about what's at stake from what I perceive, what's at stake? Please. The urgency. There are so many forces that converge to make us really, really structurally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There are so many forces that converge in our lives, personally, and also against our communities, that set up this dynamic where we're not able to have equitable access to the resources that we very well should have, be mm-hmm. it healthcare or education, um, fairness in the criminal justice system. Like these things aren't like arbitrary; they're right. manifestations of these larger systemic issues. So, what's at stake is that, you know, by virtue of being a black man in the South, I'm going to be less likely to have access to healthcare. Right. I'm going to be less likely to get. Um, fairness or justice in the criminal justice mm-hmm. system will be less likely to uh, receive comprehensive sex education. Right. Be le- like there are all these things. Now that being said, you know, we're not only the obstacles we face. We're not only the structural violence we endure and survive. And sometimes you can triumph um, over. We're not only that. There's also joy. Mm-hmm. There's a particular Southern experience of black gay men that's absolutely joyous. There is finding community with each other. There's 
kikiing about the church experience. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, shared experiences around um, clubs and, mm-hmm. and things like that. There is, you know, experiences talking about family. We tell stories. I mean, it's an experience of everybody. It's not specific to the South, but there's just a very specific. And I love talking about Black boyhood in the South and mm-hmm. what that means and what that represents. Talking about grandmothers mm-hmm. and church folks and um, talking about uh, school stuff. I mean, there's just so many. And so the experience is ultimately complicated, but at the same time, there are these forces, racism, homophobia, economic injustice, so forth, these forces that really create a structure, um, a system that marginalizes us. And Mm -hmm. that's, so the reason why we want to have a series around, you know, focus on black human in the South is that political visibility is political power. Absolutely. And it's absolutely important to raise awareness around issues impacting black human in the South while simultaneously standing, standing in solidarity with other social justice movements where we have, you know, both equally at stake. Like it's imperative that black human stand in solidarity with build coalition with, um, have partnerships with mm-hmm. folks across the, you know, social justice, anti, any folks working against anti-oppression. Yes. I mean, any folks working against oppression, we absolutely need to be in solidarity with. Um, that being said, to just talk a little bit about the history of black gay men mobilizing the South, it's, I can only offer bits and pieces of personal mm-hmm. history. I remember the first black gay pride I went to in 1999. It was, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Black Gay Pride 1999 and meeting here, here in Atlanta, Georgia. I that was the first time I came to serious? Black Gay Pride in Atlanta. I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. 1999 was my first year coming. So, um, in meeting all of the movers and shakers of the Black LGBT community in one <laughs> weekend, really. I mean, I was kind of, um, I was a part of an organization called My Brother's Keeper, which was a young Black gay men's group we met monthly it had sort of a consciousness raising bent and so through that group i met a network of other young black gay men that were interested in politics and art and culture and storytelling and social change and also just having a space to just shoot the shit and tell stories Mm -hmm. and um laugh and joke and so forth well anyway so from this network i was able to connect to through my brother's keeper when I went to my first Black Gay Pride, several months after I had started going to my brother's keeper, I had this community with me. So anyone yeah. that goes to Pride knows that you kind of need to go with your people. You, you it's do. Kind of a, <laughs> it makes it, I mean, maybe there's a there's some value to kind of experience it sort of solo. But when you have your folks with you, it's so much fun. It, so it was is. like this group of us running around. And, you know, my best friend at the time, Karan Williams, who's no longer on this planet, but Karan um, basically took me by the hand and introduced me to all these key folks. Nice. And I was really, that really transformed me into an activist because then I got connected to folks and I met these key people and knew all the organizations. And it all happened during the course of Black Pride. So um, when I think about the history of Black women mobilizing, I think about, um, I think about my own personal history. Mm-hmm. I think about people like Karan Williams, who was, um, like I said, a very close friend of mine was a student at Morehouse College at the time. He ended up passing away in 2002. Um, but Karan was probably the first black activist that I met in the flesh and was friends with. Mm-hmm. He uh, 
as a student at Morehouse, he attempted to charter an LGBT, or rather, he tra- attempted to charter a gay student org on the campus, Morehouse Adoti, I think he mm-hmm. wanted to call it. But the charter was rejected, and mm-hmm. he um, endured quite a fight um, just to even... And he was you know, visible, he was politicized, he was brilliant, certainly. So he was definitely a force to be reckoned with, and that was... Um, so when I, by the time I met him, he had just come from that, those battles mm-hmm. and he had a lot of wisdom to impart um, to me. And that was, I remember that being um, really significant. Another figure that I want to hold up from the South is Tony Daniels. <laughs> oh, Mr. Daniels. Yes. Tony Daniels. And there's so much to say about Tony, but he was a poet. Mm-hmm. He was an organizer. He was instrumental in a number of black LGBT institutions in the city of Atlanta. He was in many ways an icon. I remember I actually I actually came into community or activist community the year after he passed away. So Tony, I think, passed away in 1999, 1998, I'm sorry. And I came into community uh, 19, like the, the year later, not even a whole year. So his legacy, his impact, his influence, his spirit was still very much a part of the community. And I remember um, that just being an important, those stories that I would hear about him really inspired me um, as an activist. And Tony, again, was just a incredible force. He was a leader in Second Sunday, which was a discussion group for black gay men. Uh, well, not just a discussion group, really. It was a, a community. It was a network it was a political arm it was so many things he was also involved i believe in the founding of in the life atlanta or itla which is the mm-hmm. a chief convener of black gay pride or had been for a long time tony was and i think where he's most uh recognized or known was uh one of the founders of um adobe muse mm-hmm. adobe muse started out as a writers collective i believe but it ended up this performing this performance it ended up sort of having a performance component and a writing component, and then it, the performance component kind of took off as a Dodie <laughs> Muse Gay Negro Ensemble, and the writer, the writers collective part became um, Black Ink, and it was like oh, a writers collective. I didn't so, know that. Okay. Yeah, it was really powerful. But um, a Dodie Muse had definitely a major, major, major impact on me. Again, performance poetry troupe, a group of Black gay men going around the South telling our stories mm-hmm. to poetry, and. And this is, again, in the 90s. Mm. This is in the 90s. Yeah. So just to be able to name oneself as a black gay man openly and courageously in the mm-hmm. South at the time, it was, the, I mean, and so this is the legacy that I stand in. Mm-hmm. This, these are the folks I took inspiration from. So part of how I think about mobilizing black gay men in the South, I think about our movement history, mm-hmm. and I think about the continuity of our resilience as a people and how you know we have responsibility to, to honor that legacy by continuing to do those deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, so this Quran I shared, I talked mm-hmm. about some of what he was working on. I also talked about Tony Daniels and Adobe Muse. And there are just so many folks even here that in, in Atlanta that, you know, still doing great work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about, you know, Anthony Antoine, yeah. uh, who has been such a supporter of our work and just a model for how to, to be an artist and activist. Yeah. Um, Anthony Antoine has had so much of an impact. Like every major battle, 
he's absolutely been, I mean, he's been a soldier in. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the organizers. Um, there was a, a march against, um, like, Eddie Long, a long mm-hmm. time ago, was having this sort of very homophobic march, and Anthony was very much a part of that. Anthony was um, a Deeper Love uh, program coordinator. Deeper mm-hmm. Love is a very is, uh, important uh, Black Women's HIV prevention group, uh, a program, rather. Anthony is a part of Adobe Muse. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just this tremendous legacy. So much love for him. Anthony is doing amazing. So I got to give a shout out to Anthony yeah. Antoine slash McWilliams, yes. right? <laughs> um, I think about um, the Reverend Duncan Teague, mm-hmm. who is real uh, icon, 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 absolute icon, a part of Adobe Muse. Um, you know, Duncan Teague in 1985 in Atlanta, Georgia, convened a group of Black LGBT folks in his living room to talk about what are we going to do about HIV in the Black community that was Duncan T yeah. in 1985 over 30 years ago and so when we think about the 1980s and we think about the erasure mm-hmm. of black people in the, the HIV movement mm-hmm. history we think about that erasure we know that our folks were absolutely yes. there you know we didn't all have our heads in the sand right we weren't all paralyzed by fear many of us fought Duncan right. T was one of those fighters you know having hard conversations raising awareness around this issue, fighting for funding, being an artist and a poet and an activist at the same time. Um, so Duncan Teague is definitely in that tradition. I certainly think about Craig Washington, mm-hmm. who is a prevention programs manager at Aid Atlanta. He uh, developed the Deeper Love program back in 1997, which is this iconic program. Craig Washington was also one of the many amazing co-chairs of Second Sunday, the group mm-hmm. I referenced before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely have to give a shout out to Craig. I think about um, you, Lester Douglas, mm-hmm. who I think is, I mean, th- though there's many folks have done really great mm-hmm. work. Um, I think about you, Lester Douglas. I mean, he's such an amazing leader. He's mm-hmm. a, a executive director of Men Stopping Violence. Um, and also, again, one of the early co-chairs of Second Sunday. You know, he's someone that has completely... Uh, been committed to an intersectional analysis and in, in, in all of the work that he does and just really a model of how to be an absolute pro-feminist black gay man in this world mm-hmm. and such a just such an inspiration and a brilliant therapist mm-hmm. right like just a brilliant brilliant therapist so I mean and those are just a few of the many black gay men that have had a absolute impact on the landscape and I mean I say this quite Sincerely, that part of the reason why we're able to sit here and have this conversation is because of the work that mm-hmm. they've done, and we owe them, and we have to hold their memories up, and also the legacies of, of folks that mm-hmm. are even working today. Mm-hmm. One of the things, um, you know, we talked about this earlier, and you know, the importance of you know community um, around us. When you think of, you know, you've been an activist, uh, you've been doing it ain't been that long. <laughs> <laughs> For several years. <laughs> um, just a few. Right, just a few years. What um, do you see as, um, what, what do we, what do, what, what, what do activists need to be able to do the work? And I'm not talking about um, like the, the, the physical stuff. I'm talking about the, the support. What is, what is, what are, what are those needs? I think we need collective memory and inspiration. We have to institutionalize our movement history. We Mm -hmm. have to, activists need to know what has worked Mm -hmm. and what hasn't worked as well. Like we need those stories. Mm -hmm. We absolutely need that. We need blueprints. Activists need blueprints. Mm -hmm. 
I also think that activists need to feel a sense of community. Mm-hmm. The uh, strange and unfortunate thing about, especially being a black gay man that's an activist and a creative is you spend all your time creating community for other people and you don't mm-hmm. always get the benefit from the community that you're creating for others. Right. Sometimes you're even left out of the communities that you've been creating right. for. So you do all this work, you know, putting together these workshops and hosting these conferences and coordinating uh, discussion groups and uh, organizing uh, film screenings and all that. And, you know, and you, it's not always easy to kind of get your needs met in the things that you're creating for other people. So I think that definitely feeling a sense of uh, connection to community mm-hmm. um, is really, really important. I think activists need restoration. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I often push back on in this conversation around resilience is that, I mean, I think, I always say, I think any black gay man that survived, you know, black boyhood right. knows how to be resilient. Yes. We know a thing about being resilient. Mm-hmm. We know how to survive. I don't think we always know how to restore mm-hmm. ourselves. Right. So you can be resilient. You can survive, but you can be completely wounded and torn apart. You can, I mean, resilience at what cost, right? Right. But I think we need restoration. We need spaces and places and support networks where we're able to to, to restore, to rejuvenate, to be affirmed, to feel good. Um, I also think, and finally, I think that a lot of us uh, activists, I think we need joy. Mm-hmm. I think we need laughter. I think we need to be able to be silly. I think we need to be able to be more parts of ourselves than just the serious activist type. I think we need spaces to be able to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I've seen that actually work against a number of us, right? We're not able to be vulnerable often. We have to wear the mask all the time. We have to be the strong, serious, mm-hmm. the person that everyone depends on. And that can be crushing. Yeah, That can be crushing. We need to be able to connect to our little boy selves. We need mm-hmm. to be able to, to have play in mm-hmm. our lives. And again, I'm <laughs> I'm putting this out not that I have it figured out. I right. still struggle with many of these things. These are aspirational mm. <laughs> uh, kinds of goals, but it's just from my perspective like I'm by no means an expert on how one can have a sustained life as an activist, but those are just a few things that I've kind of mm-hmm. witnessed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um and we will be um discussing these topics um and more as we embark on our um, Google Hangout for mobilizing black gay men in the South and building resilience among black gay men in the South. So um, I do encourage everybody who's listening here to um, tune in uh, to those live events. And we will, of course, have them available. If you're listening to this at any point, they should be available um, on the internet. So Charles, I want to thank you for joining again. Thank you for you, having me. No problem. Thank you so much, everybody, to uh, for listening to Counterpoint. Once again, you can um, follow us on Twitter at Building Desire and uh, like us on Facebook at The Counter Narrative. Uh, this has been Counterpoint. I'm Johnny Cornegay with Charles Stevens. Thank you so much for joining everybody. Bye. Thank you.